Hi guys, Victoria here. Before we get to the podcast, I wanted to be sure you knew about the Dog Behaviour Conference, which will be held on April the 21st to the 23rd. It's online, so you can join from anywhere, and you get full access to all recordings from the conference for one year. So it's okay if you can't join us live. You can register now at dogbehaviourconference.com, and I hope to see you there. And now, on to the podcast. My guest today, I think I have a lot in common with her, and you'll find out why. She is Philippa Thompson. She is a TV news journalist, and you will have seen her everywhere, but particularly on Good Morning Britain. And as I said, we do share an experience, and it's an experience that not a lot of people have experienced. So uh, I I wanted her to come on the show to talk to her about it. And here she is. Welcome, Philippa. I'm really, really glad you're here. Ditto. Thank you so much for having me. I cannot wait now, to talk to you about all things dog. I know, I know. And you are a mother to some amazing dogs. And I do want to talk a little uh, bit about them later. But first of all, people certainly in the UK will know you because you're on Good Morning Britain and you kind of, as you said, do everything because (laughs) like when I watch it, sometimes I see you're swimming in a lake or in the ocean. (laughs) I don't know. In the very early morning, I saw that. I was like, you're so brave or you're interviewing a politician or you're at the desk. And and I'm like, your your job is so interesting. Can you tell us a little bit about how you became a TV news journalist and like, what is your typical day? I think I became a TV news journalist because I get bored very easily, Victoria. That means I have to have lots of variety in my day, whether that's, you know, meeting different people, going to different places. My career actually started in newspapers. So I left school when I was 18 after my A-levels and I trained as a newspaper reporter on my local publication and I did papers for about six years, freelanced on one of the national papers in London, which I don't need to name, but probably wouldn't say was the nicest of experiences. And I thought, no, I'm not a cut, I'm not a cutthroat tabloid reporter here. And I'd always, I think, had a hankering um, after about live television. I wanted to work in live TV because there's such a buzz to it. It's a bit of an adrenaline rush. I loved the deadlines of newspapers and I really wanted to experience the deadlines of of live television. So then I joined um, ITV, one of ITV's regional stations in Birmingham. And I had four very happy years there. In fact, it was while I was living in Birmingham that I got my, my first dog, if you like. We'd always had dogs as a family, but I got my first dog. And um, and then I became uh, a regional news anchor presenter up in the northeast of England in, in Newcastle in good old Tyne Tees region. Lived up there for a while. And then I came to London and, and started freelancing. And then everything led to led to Good Morning Britain. And here we so are today. And How long have you done that show for? Because, because I mean, it is... I have to say, I really love it. I, I, I love it because it's so varied and it can be explosive sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, and, and uh, that's it. British morning television is, is the best. But um, how long have you been doing that for? I started uh, probably, I've been there since it, since it launched, actually, which was in March 2014. Gosh. Yeah, yeah. I've, seen, so I've seen quite a few changes, quite a few on-screen dramas few off-screen ones as well (laughs) but it's great it's great fun and I think what we do really well is we tell stories brilliantly um we tell people's stories really brilliantly we get into issues and I think the main thing is when people are watching television in the morning and they're making their breakfast at the same time and putting their toast in the toaster you want you actually do want to distract them you want to stop them stirring that cup of tea because they want to, to watch what we're talking about. So, uh, yeah, it's, it is a great show. It's a great show to work on with a brilliant team, which is what I think keeps me there so long because it is mad. We work some very mad hours. You don't always have a lot of sleep. 
I'm lucky in that I can sleep on a clothesline. So that suits me fine. But you really need to, to work as a team when you're working some strange hours and you're trying to get a show together at three o'clock in the morning. Yeah. I I completely relate to that because even though I don't get up as early as you do, <laughs> when we're filming It's Me or the Dog or filming mm. the Dog Academy, um, you know, it is, it really does, your experience really does depend on the team that you are working with. Yeah. And it's almost because I'm on the road all the time, especially with It's Me or the Dog, we're just on the road. So we're going from house to house to house. We're staying in different hotels every night, you know, almost. And and it's a weird life. So so your crew becomes your family. Mm. That's it. And that it doesn't so really true. give you much space outside. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's very true. And I think that's why um, I'm sort of quite... And this sounds really antisocial, it's not meant to be, but I think I'm somebody who's very precious with my time and who I spend my time with because I don't always feel like I have a huge amount of time. And when I do have free time, I most of the time like to spend it with dogs. <laughs> yes, yeah, exactly. And of course, that's why you're here because this is the Positively podcast, which we are talking about dogs here. Um, and that brings me to the fact that you have a platform and that you use your platform and I follow you on social media and I see on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and the whole, all of, all of the things that you do, but you, you definitely use your platform for the greater good. And that brings me to 2017 and 2018 when you find yourself in South Korea. Can you tell me about that journey and why were you there in South Korea? Yeah, I'd never been there before, but I ended up there because of a newspaper article I read in the UK one morning when I was at work and we get all the newspapers come in about two o'clock in the morning and I, I look at all the front pages. And uh, this front page popped out at me, which was a special investigation into the dog meat trade in Asia. Uh, this investigation was, was actually in South Korea. And it was exposing the horrors of the dog meat trade with the charity Humane Society International and the work and the campaign that was being launched to try and end it in South Korea and, and in other parts of, of Asia. And there was pictures of dogs crammed in cages on these farms and dogs that had been rescued from these farms. And then as I read further down the article, I saw that some of the dogs that had been rescued from these farms were coming to the UK to, to get a second chance at life. And something just took hold of me and I'd already got two dogs at the time and something just took hold of me and I just thought, right, I want to rehome one of these dogs. And I remember as a child being aware of of the practice of, of eating dogs, eating cats, which I'm not casting judgment on, but I was very aware of it. And I suppose as somebody who, you know, lived in the UK, to me, it was anathema, although now I know that I'm not quite sure there's that much difference between eating cows, pigs and sheep, but that's an, another debate. Uh, but I was very aware of it as a child and it really, really traumatized me I think so actually reading this article had a massive effect on me and I wouldn't normally have read it and I don't know what made me but thank god I did because it led me to um to going out to South Korea to actually do my own filming for Good Morning Britain um to look and explore the, the whole issue you know of of eating eating dog and I know Which this, is a this tough is, one for a lot of people. It is a tough one. And uh, obviously this is a, a, a tough subject for this podcast. But I think it's a subject that well, that, that needs to be talked about because mm. um, it, it's there's, there's some of it that it does have a happy ending. And of course, you experiencing or, or reading that article and going out there to South Korea actually just not once but twice has led you to some very important beings in your life Ooh, yeah absolutely so after after reading that article i 
started getting on the phone, making inquiries, asking questions, as us journalists do, finding out, you know, where these dogs were, if they'd all been adopted, if there any, were any that hadn't been, blah, 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 blah. And uh, it led me, sorry, Victoria, I do this a lot, blah, 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 yada, yada, yada. Yeah, but that's it led me, me too. <laughs> <laughs> to uh, going to a foster home where a little dog who at the time was called Poppet, um, yeah, she just got into foster care. She'd been in the UK a few weeks. She'd just been spayed. I'd seen a picture of her and she was, uh, uh, to all intents and purposes, a chihuahua mix. God knows what else she was mixed with. Well, I've got an idea actually now because I had her DNA done. But I went down to see her. I took my two other dogs to see how they got on. I took my mum because my mum's opinion is always very important. And yeah, I met Bindi and she was, terrified i mean she was she was feral almost you know you could not get near her she was hiding under tables you you know what what Mm -hmm. it would be like yeah um but there was just something that connected me to her because i saw in this dog an animal that that i knew could grow in you know could grow in confidence and still be the most amazing pet uh friend no matter what her her background was, so that day I I left with her, and I brought her home. <laughs> By the time I'd walked in the front door, I'd already changed her name. Me and my mum had already changed her name to Bindi, partly because I narrowed it down because I'd already got two two Tibetan terriers, one called BG, which stands for Bloody Gorgeous, <laughs> and uh, a dog, another Tibetan terrier called Billy Boy. So I knew I wanted another dog whose name began with B, which is quite stupid. But anyway, that narrowed the list down. I walked in the house with Bindi and uh, my dad took one look at her because he'd been he'd been at home waiting and he went, you're absolutely mad getting a third dog. What are you doing? You haven't got time. Well, I tell you what, I put her in his arms and it took maybe 20 minutes and he was absolutely besotted and no i mean not that she really stayed there very long because she was just so nervous mm. um but that first evening i remember i just lay on the floor with her at her level and i just lay on the floor for about three or four hours and i waited and i waited and she eventually just came over to me and lay down beside me and that was the first major step. And I thought, yeah, we're going to be okay. There's quite a journey to go on, but we're going to be okay. How and, incredible. Yeah, and that was five years ago. See, that I mean, that shows such remarkable trust, doesn't it? And I think that shows mm. the power of the dog when they've been through such a trauma, such a trauma, and then they transition in a totally different country with people that they don't know. And she has that that resilience just to go, hmm, maybe this person's going to be okay. And that courage to come and lie next to you. Yeah. Unbelievable. You see, that's what, that's what amazes me about dogs is because they're so incredibly adaptable because they are resilient. And when humans fail them, as they often do, they still will give you a chance. Yeah. That is their yeah. power, isn't it? That is their mm. power. So, okay, Bindi is in your life. Now, what about Robin? So Master Robin, or Robin, a.k.a. Thugface, as I call, <laughs> as I call him on social media, because he's so cute, but my God, he can be a little horror. Uh, <laughs> he came into my life because... After obviously going out to South Korea and filming, I'd obviously forged a, a good relationship with with Humane Society International, and I was always getting updates on you know dog rescues and and farms that were being closed. And I heard about some more dogs that were coming to the UK. Another farm was getting shut down. Um, the charity does brilliant work in in which you know about in encouraging farmers to leave the trade 
and giving them a grant to set up in another business that doesn't involve animals and then the charity dismantles the farm and gets every dog out and it can be 200 dogs or more and most of them actually go go to america and canada but luckily a few also come to the uk so i heard about this latest farm closure which i think was number 13 that the charity has closed hundreds upon hundreds of dogs they've now rescued i can't tell you what amazing work they do well i can tell you because you know (laughs) yourself um tell listeners I, i should say um and i saw pictures of the dogs that were coming to the uk and they can be you know all shapes and sizes and i think there's a perception when you talk about dog meat farms that they're all you know mixed breeds and dogs that you wouldn't recognize but mm. you see golden retrievers you know dogs that have been in the show ring at crofts i remember one farm i went to there was an afghan hound that was obviously in the sorriest of states but french bulldogs uh and on this list among alongside golden retrievers and, and goodness knows what else was was this picture of this five-month-old puppy that was the cutest dog i've ever seen in my life he'd got this sort of well he just he just melted me and he, they said to me at the charity you know hfsi pip pip do you, do you fancy do you fancy robin i was like oh god you know I, i'm not sure i'd only lost my eldest tibetan terrier a few months previous so you go through that whole thing don't you is it fair mm-hmm. um is it fair to the dog i lost to have another dog so quickly and i was going out to south korea anyway to purely as a volunteer because i wanted to help shut another farm down um so i went out and i met robin and that took about, you know, five seconds before I thought, oh, God, here we go again. <laughs> here we go again. <laughs> another another, another the dog meat trade survivors coming to live with me. And actually, because it had been the most fabulous experience seeing Bindi transform, I wasn't I wasn't worried about it. It was just, you know, an, another little another little being in the house um, who slots in. And that's the best way to do it. They just slot into to your life. And then you got the TLC. Yeah, and I I do want to explore that because, you know, I I think transitioning a dog that has been through trauma into your home takes a lot of time and patience and understanding. But I do want to ask you, and I will be asking you, maybe some of the things that you did to help your dog's transition. But um, in 2019, the Humane Society International contacted me and asked me if I would like to come to South Korea and to help them shut down. And I think it was Farm 15 that rings a bell, but I think they've done so many farms since then that um, I don't know exactly the number, but I know that you had been before and uh, and I had seen some of your coverage and I had also been helped at HS or HSI or um, HS UK to deliver those signatures to the Chinese embassy to stop Yulin Dog Meat Festival and other mm, festivals mm. Um, in China, which are absolutely horrific. So I said yes. And so in September of 2019, I followed in your footsteps, Pip, and I went <laughs> to South Korea. And obviously, you stay in Seoul, and then you it, sometimes it can be two to three hours before you get to some of these farms. Yeah. And I have to say, I think I was I was so impressed with what HSI is doing, and they work with their partners in Seoul as well, and um, and with the UK. And I think I was so impressed with what they're doing because. Because they're not, the farmer was there working with us. Yeah. And that was shocking to me because I thought, mm-hmm. you know, I've done loads of puppy mill busts here. I've done loads of dog fighting busts here. I mean, I kind of know it. they're arrested and they're, they're put in handcuffs and taken away. Right. So, um, but here was the farmer helping us. And that I think was a shock. Yeah. It was, it was an eye opener on every level you know get, arriving there the the smell 
the sounds, the sights. It's, I mean, it's tough, isn't it? It is tough. Yeah, it's, it is tough. It's tough. It's tough. And, and the rats are everywhere. And the rat, and I don't know whether you experienced the spiders too. These massive banana spiders where we, where we were that are literally in front of every cage that the, I I can't probably, and they can be as big as your hand. I mean, they're so Mm. huge Mm. and they, apparently they bite, but, um, and in the mornings when people were literally just like pushing cobwebs away because it's really in a rural area where we were. And so I just remember being assaulted by all these massive yellow and black spiders and thinking I can't even get to the dogs. But, and seeing these dogs and exactly what you said, I was like, what is a golden retriever doing here? Okay. It's not just jindos and popcake dogs and the, and the, the, what is a golden retriever? What's a Boston Terrier doing what is a chihuahua doing here i mean i was shocked and then that's when i learned that some of these farms are actually um they are sort of part puppy mill so they Mm. will sell the puppies then they're part dog meat and those are usually sort of the pot cake dogs and then they are part um dog fighting rings as well so those are the jindos and so, so I think it's just an assault on the senses, isn't it? It's just you—you you can't actually. A, a you can't believe you're there. There's a what? word for that, and it's head f bleep bleep k. Hundred percent. I think it what, is. what blew me away was the dogs, and we were just we were talking about this with how resilient they are. These dogs are in the most <clears throat> horrific circumstances. And they are still craving that human affection, even though they have been so cruelly treated at the hands of humans. And they were up at the bars of the cage. And and just to explain to listeners, these dogs are in these cages 24 hours a day. They have no bedding. So their poor little paws get ever so damaged. There's no bedding. they're lucky if they get a separate bowl of water. I think on the farm I was in, they're fed on restaurant waste. I mean, there was these huge bats of this, this I don't know what you call it, slop. Gunk. And that's mm-hmm. where they get the, 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 the fluids from, the moisture in the food. They don't actually get a separate, a separate bowl of food. And I'd see, you know, I saw this one dog and he was just sitting in the empty very dirty dog food bowl just sitting in it and then there'd be other dogs that that all they wanted to do was just have that you know, that human touch and affection and i just thought how can you still be so trusting of us of humans after what we've already done to you i still can't come to terms with how trusting dogs can be even though they have suffered so incredibly at the, at the hands of, of us humans and yes, there were some dogs that were that were broken, that were at the back of these disgusting cages, looking so skeletal and malnourished, and they and they wouldn't come near you. But so many of them were were the opposite. Yes, and they I've just seen wanted that, that in... touch. So we we just spend a lot of time just putting our hands to the cage and just just trying to give them a, a, a little you know a little bit of affection. Yeah, and and I see that in puppy mills when mm. we go in and close a puppy mill down. It's the same thing. You can't believe, yes, there's many very, very scared dogs. They've had no social interaction with humans or the interaction that they have had has not been pleasant. And so some of them are very scared and some of them are very, very shut down and others are like, please just give me attention, give me affection and are super, super friendly and so, um, so that experience, I think, opened up my eyes to this trade where you still have to, even if you don't respect it, understand the culture there and that, um, that the, the younger generation are growing up and they are because I would say dog ownership or guardianship, however you want to say it, is becoming more popular there that 
the younger generation don't really want to eat those animals no. that are now in their homes. And so, and also the rural areas maybe have a bit more catching up to do than the cities. Did yeah. you find that I mean, as well? So, it, it, yeah, I mean, it seems to be, you know, the older generations that they've known nothing different. And it's not expensive to to, to run a, a dog meat farm. So I suppose it's it's a straightforward way of making money. But, you know, I, I remember hearing and and really witnessing as well that when the farmers, which as you say, were there, they were they were sort of helping helping the charity in many ways, when they actually see how how uh, people from, from HSI were interacting with the dogs, they were like, Oh my God, you know, it's they're not just they're not just food. <laughs> I mean they're not food. There's so much more to them. They're they're sentient beings. So you know they were they were learning as well and i don't i don't have any any anger towards them you know I, i've got a lot of respect for those farmers that have actually left the trade and moved on to something else and are and are spreading the word to their neighbors because it becomes a, a word of mouth thing the thing what's been going on over the years as more and more people have owned dogs in south korea there's been maybe a distinction made between a pet dog and a dog meat dog. So I think the farm Bindi was on, um, like a chihuahua mix, the farmer had a dog that looked just like Bindi, but that was a pet dog, whereas Bindi was seen as a <laughs> as a dog meat dog. But I think that is, is changing so much, you know, great strides are being made. And I'm optimistic yeah. that, you know, it won't be that long before, you know, there, there, there aren't any dog meat farms there. I'm I'm hoping and so I definitely if you want to find out more about this then I would definitely go on um the Humane Society International's site and um you will be able to see all kinds of stories of of their experiences shutting down these dog meat farms and also as you say giving these farmers different professions to go to maybe something in arable farming instead mm -hmm. but what was interesting was that my farm was next to the farm that I went to was right next to it seemed like they were growing cabbages or lettuces next door. I don't know whether that was his land or not, but all of the excrement and all of the disgusting stuff from from whatever was on the floor, which I think wasn't just dog poop, was bleeding into, especially when it was rained, was bleeding into this field of lettuces and cabbages and things. Wow. And so not only is that, I mean, you've got a major environmental hazard there as well, yeah. which is going to affect people when they eat that stuff. So mm. it just, it was a real, real eye opener. Yeah. So I, I, you know, please support HSI, please support their work. And of course, here, the Humane Society of the United States as well, they do amazing work just to, just to, you know, raise awareness about animal issues and that, no, yeah. this isn't just a South Korean issue. This is an, this is an issue around the world. And, uh, you know, it's something that I know that you and I feel very strongly about. But how difficult was it? You've, you've now got this. Well, first of all, you have Bindi, then you get Robin. How difficult was it for you to transition them into your home? Because, of course, they don't experience, they don't know what a roof is over their head. They're confined in a different place now, but there's different noises and smells and people around them that want to touch them and hold them. And very odd place to go from one thing to another. How did you transition them and what challenges did you have? So with Bindi, it was a case of lots of time, lots of time and patience. Things that I thought might terrify her didn't. So household noises, for example, I thought that's going to freak her out. The sound of the washing machine, the kettle boiling. That wasn't a problem. What seemed to be a problem was, well, I'll give you one example was she would almost forget you or forget what you looked like. You might be able to to help explain this one, Victoria, but I would put a change of clothes on that she hadn't seen before. 
and I would come down the stairs and she would be absolutely terrified. I remember I put on a, a new dress one day and it was actually quite a nice dress. It wasn't because it was a horrible dress. <laughs> it was a nice dress. But she was physically shaking so much that, that she wet herself. Mm. And I couldn't understand that because I thought, well, but I looked the same, my face, I smell the same. And I thought, would think smell is a hugely important thing for a dog. So why has me changing my outfit triggered this dog? And she was terrified. The other thing she couldn't cope with, and she still can't, doesn't matter whether it's me or anybody else, carrying things. So if you're carrying a box or you've got a suitcase or you're shopping, she's straight behind the sofa. People that are particularly men, but I would say anybody who, say, say in winter, has got a, a thick coat on, hat, scarf, gloves, terrified. And I don't think that that will, will ever leave her. So there are certain situations that I'm always wary about putting her into. So if we go to, say, a cafe, a coffee shop, if it was very crowded, she would be overwhelmed by that. Even if I'm holding her. Um, and then you have people coming near to her and, you know, going coochie, coochie, coo. And she just cannot, you know. It's, too, it's just too much for her. All, it's like all her senses are assaulted. So, um, but, you know, she's, she's unique and she's my little Bindi. And at home with the people she trusts, which I, which I would say I could count on the fingers of one hand, which is me, obviously, my mum, which interestingly, you know, my mum was the, was the person I brought her home with. My dad, now my dad hmm. is the only man that she, she trusts. Wow. Um, my brother, who who I see a lot, who she's met a lot, she doesn't trust him. I think maybe it's because she heard him shouting at his kids one day. And that, you know, sent her into a panic. Um, but yeah, mostly mostly women. But once people have won her trust, that's, you know, she's she's their friend for life. But you have to just let her go at her own pace. And... Normally what happens if somebody new comes to the house, I try and get them to, and you can tell me if this is the right thing to do, Victoria, but I ask them to, to sort of give her little treats and sort of throw the treats in her direction. She wouldn't come near them for Good. them, but, but, but just little baby steps. And, yep. you know, we've got to the point now, and actually, as time's gone on, she settles much, much more quickly. Um, but, yeah, we, she's... <laughs> She she's a traumatized dog, and I think that will always stay with her. But she is the most loving, sensitive soul, and she knows she knows if I come home and I'm sad or I'm upset, she's she's right by my side. But she's also quite independent. You know, she can be very sassy. She's she's the top dog with the others. You know, she's she's small, but my goodness, she can she can hold her own. Yeah, she's she's wonderful, and we all absolutely adore her as a family. You know, every little part of her, and to well, see the photos of her hmm. when she first arrived in the UK, this scrawny, malnourished little thing. Her coat was was just awful, and to look at the pictures of her now, and the best thing was because I can let her off the lead. You know, it took a few months to train her. But she can run free, and that was the most amazing thing. It took about six months, and I trained her on a, a you know, a long leash. And just to see her running through fields, running free, <laughs> is the most amazing thing in the world. How incredible! How I mean, that look. I think you're experiencing what so many people experience that have adopted dogs from different traumatic situations, dog meat farms. Mm -hmm. Um, dog fighting rings, puppy mills, um, sort of similar experiences. And I think probably why she's reacting or why she's reacting to you like that is that actually I do find, and it's not just with dogs that have come from traumatic situations, it, it is that very important, obviously, socialization window that dogs 
have to have pleasant experiences to sort of build up that stress inoculation, that resilience that has to happen really between the ages of three and 12 weeks. Mm -hmm. And then um, during different fear periods, as they grow, you know, any kind of traumatic experiences or unpleasantness during those fear periods can really have a lifetime impact. So I think what she's just doing is that we find a lot with these dogs is they go back to what we call their default behavior. So that um, even though she's now had that experience with you, that approach, you're wearing something different. She does know it's you, but I think it's the default behavior of the approach, suddenly you coming into view that takes her right back. Ooh. So, um, and so that stress, that, that res- stress response will, will kick in. It is literally just the way that her body is trying to survive or her brain tells her, human being coming, get out of there. Yeah. My chihuahua does something quite similar. She, we got her when she was six months old. Her former people, all we know is that they bought her to the rescue shelter in a box and just shoved her at the front desk staff and said, she's poop, she poops everywhere. We keep her in a crate, but we're done with her now. And so I know when she came to us, she was very scared of people. And so sometimes even now when we come through the gate, she will go back to her default behavior of like, who's that? And then she will react accordingly. And then once she knows it's you, she goes, oh, okay. Or once then I'm sure when Bindi knows it's you, then she's like, oh, okay, then I'll come out and I know that I'm safe. Mm -hmm. But it is, it's just that body's response and and it is that survival instinct that takes over and it's not and because do you your think dog that can't instinct see. stays do you think that dog's that instinct stays with that dog for life yes because i see the progress she's made in so many ways yes but there's still those little triggers that are there after five years yep a hundred percent and so so the brain i mean the brain does not erase particularly fear memories so your dog, I don't know, somebody could come round, a guest could come round and, you know, you've got a, you've raised your dog from a puppy and then somebody comes round and steps on it mm-hmm. just by accident. That even that one experience can set up a lifetime of distrust, of fear um, and that person or that particular situation can always be uncomfortable. So the way that we work through dogs with fear is like you're saying, it's like time and patience and doing with what, with, you know, what your guests do when they come in is that don't go up and try and touch these dogs. Mm. Don't get into her space, but pair them with great things. So Yeah. yeah, somebody comes to the door, throw those treats. Fabulous. And always, and I think what you did, which was so beautiful, is that you didn't crowd her. You lay on the ground when she first came into your home and you waited for her to make that decision that I'm now going to lie next to you. Huge. But I don't think, I think we want to have connections so much that with these dogs, we want to go up and touch and, and hold and hug. And these dogs don't want it. Let them make the decision first. So I think that what you did there was really, really smart. But it's nothing to do with you when you come down the stairs and something different. It's that default behavior that is important for survival. And that will never, ever leave her. And I think also what you said as well is really important for people to know. If you are going to adopt one of these dogs that have had these experiences, and I always encourage people, do, please, please, if you know that you're the type of person that can deal with this and has that time and that patience and also has a support system, because it does sound like you have a great support system around you, then go ahead because you will have friends for life. You will have a dog that is so loyal to you and that trusts you so much. And then you see that beautiful progression like you are now where now Bindi's running off the lead having the time of her life. Yeah, she's got challenges. She'll always have challenges, but you've worked it out. Amazing. I, und- I, under- I understand her. Yeah, you understand her. Now, Robin, did you have a similar sort of, did you have similar issues with him or was it very different? 
it was very different with Robin. And I wonder whether that was because he was rescued from the farm just those couple of months, three months, maybe earlier, because he seemed much more socialised, much less nervous of people. Uh, and yeah, just simply not as, as traumatised as Bindi. And don't get me wrong, when he meets new people, he is a little bit, you know, keep back. And he needs to just have time to, to work them out. But there's not the same, there's not the same triggers with Bindi. I think with Robin, what I would say the, the one thing is, is that he can be a little bit too confident with other dogs. And he has a very intense bond with me. So he likes to be in the same room as me at all times. I'm surprised, actually, he was at my feet. But normally he's, <laughs> he's lying at my feet. He's lying next to me on the sofa. Our, our bodies have to be touching. I take him to bed with me, Victoria, which I know is... No, it's actually not. It's People think that I'm the person that's like, don't sleep with your dog, don't. But I'm really not. It's just that I work with a lot of people whose dogs don't let them get in, get into bed. or So that's where they have to come off the bed. But no, no, my okay. chihuahua sleeps in my bed. So oh, carry fine. on, yes. Well, so Bindi, I can leave her in the kitchen at night on her bed, happy as Larry. Robin will not stay in that kitchen with her if he knows I'm in the house. If he knows I'm not there and I'm out, not a problem. So he comes to bed with me and he, yeah, if anything, he's been a little bit too confident. So my other Tibetan, my Tibetan terrier, who's now nearly 14, who is not a dominant dog at all. Um, for the first few months, him and Robin were fine, but then Robin suddenly realized he could, he could bully, bully, bully Billy a bit because Billy wasn't going to stand up to him. Doesn't do it to Bindi because she can hold her own. And also because my Tibetan terrier is very attached to me as well. So we <laughs> so in an evening, I've got one on one side of me, one on the other, and Bindi can quite happily be, be in the other room. Mm. So that has taken that's taken a little bit of, of managing at times to, to make them understand that you you've both you've both got love from me. You don't need you don't need to be to be jealous. Um but yeah, Robin's Robin's a different a different kettle of fish. She's much more confident, I would say, much more confident. What would you say then? What would your advice be to people that are thinking um, that either have uh, adopted a dog from a similar situation in their home or are thinking of doing of doing so? What would you say to them? Rescue, I believe, is always the way to go if you can. But you obviously have to be aware that that dog is not going to be a blank canvas. It takes time and patience. So as long as you've got the time and the patience and the, the love to give them and you've, you've done your research, you know, don't think, don't expect a dog, and this goes for any dog, don't expect a dog to think like you. You have to, to think like the dog. And if you do rescue a dog, it is the most incredibly rewarding thing you will ever do. But you have got to, you've got to think about it. I always say that, you know, for, for obviously because <laughs> on my show, but also off my show, you know, I'm working with dogs from all kinds of situations and that's why I'm quite busy. Um, <laughs> but that, that I do think what you said is really important that people need to meet the dog where they're at and, and, and understand what it's like to be a dog, understand dog. And so I always say, try and sort of see the world from your dog's point of view. What, what are your dog's needs and wants, right? So of course we mm. all need water and feeding. We all need to be safe and comfortable um we but what does your dog want what does your dog want in order for your dog to feel comfortable and to feel safe how can you provide that what would your dog ask you if he or she could just sit you down and say hey I, I, for for 10 minutes I can speak in your language and you stupid human will actually understand me 
And this is what I want. This is what I need. So ask yourself those questions. And are you the type of person that can give to, to give your dog what it needs? And then you don't need people like me to come into mm-hmm. your home to help <laughs> fix things. Um, or you just need a trainer to help teach your dog a whole load of different skills and help them cope within this kind of crazy, weird domestic environment that they live in with us. So even though dogs are adaptable, even though they are resilient, and even though they're really, really good at reading people and getting on with people, there will be challenges. And you have to face those challenges because the worst thing you can do for a dog that's been through trauma is to put it back into trauma. We do not want dogs going back into the rescue shelter or now yo-yoing from home to home because that in itself is traumatic. So I think that's my bit of advice as well is to, is to really, really think about it before you go down that path. Because again, I mean, you know this, we say this all the time, dogs are not disposable property. <laughs> if for some reason it's not working out, if it really, you tried everything that's not working out, well then sometimes that happens. And sometimes the dog does better being rehomed. And I've done some cases where I think this is not the right family for this dog. This dog needs to be rehomed. And the rehoming has gone very well and the dog's very happy in their new home. But with the rescue shelters pretty full in the UK and certainly full here in the United States, we encourage people to really do your homework before because there's nothing worse than this poor dog yo-yoing from place to place. And it's like... I don't know what it's like in the US or whether it's as bad, but the number of people that bought dogs during lockdown mm. and now suddenly they're not able to keep them anymore because that remote working has, has ended. Um, we've also got, you know, a cost of living crisis over here. You know, you've got to factor in the fact that dogs, dogs do cost. If you're going to look after them properly, they do cost. And the number of dogs that are being given up because, because of lockdown really really yes, get angry we do see it here we um it's been it's been awful and i think you know during the pandemic everybody was so excited that oh my gosh all of the rescue shelters were there was like there were no dogs in rescue and the and the mm-hmm. breeders were loving it and the puppy millers were loving it everybody wanted dogs but we knew what was going to happen we knew when that cute little puppy didn't suit their needs anymore or when things opened up that there was a potential that the shelters would fill up again and here you know here where i am in atlanta which is down in the south just above florida we have uh, our shelters are full i mean we have such a desperate pet overpopulation problem that we are trying to work on but uh, a lot of our shelters are just full and a lot of those are uh bully breed type dogs probably I would say about sort of 70% of them so um, we did see that we did see that issue here and of course with the cost of living being just going up and up here as well you're right (laughs) having dogs is very expensive Mm -hmm. I have now two elderly dogs they are very expensive their medical needs are are you know mount up as they get older so yeah, as much as also the dog is transitioning into your home, you have to understand that your life is going to change considerably. And it does, does sound Pip, like you do have that good support system because, of course, as a journalist, you are traveling around everywhere so that you do have that good support system and it's working. That's seriously good advice. Well, Pip, thank you so much for joining us. I know I now see you on the sofa that you have Bindi there with you. What a little treasure. I love that Chihuahua face. She's so glorious. What else do you think she's mixed with? She looks a little bit like, um, oh, what's that word? Not a, well, there definitely seems to be a little sort of pot cakey dog about her, but like a, not a Samoyed, but something. Yeah, you're, you're what quite is close. She? What? Well, when I had a DNA done, we Spitz. worked out 36% of her. So 
about 12% Chihuahua, 12% Japanese Spitz, 12% Korean Jindo. Wow. And then 60-odd percent, we have no idea. <laughs> so I was right about the Spitz part. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah, she's a little Spitz. Uh, she's yeah. a, I mean, I always say she looks like a little Arctic fox. She and does. she's got she's got the corkscrew tail, you know, the Spitz tail. Does she really? Oh, she's she's divine. And then I know you've got Robin close by as well now that yeah, you've Robin's moved. Yeah, Robin's sort of fast asleep next to me. <laughs> He's been very antisocial. Robin, say hello. Do you know what, though? It's lovely, though, seeing that they're just so comfortable with you. Oh. And at the end of the day, if that's all these dogs were, wow, what a massive transition. I know. They, and they a success. are absolutely adorable. Come here and say hello. Come on, then. Oh gosh! And of course, I've seen. I mean, I see so much on your social media. I just look at him. He's, he's a again, licker. Oh, he's like, yeah. I just want to say hello. He's beautiful. So, um, Philip, uh, Pip. I can't keep calling you either Philip or Pip. But <laughs> Pip. Um, now I know people in the UK. They can watch you on Good Morning Britain. So do it, do it. But on social media, where would they find you? They would find me at Pip Thompson on Twitter. T-O-M-S-O-N. I have the most awkward spelling of the surname. And on Instagram as Pip Thompson. And you can also follow, which actually I'd rather people did, is to follow Bindi and Robin on Instagram because they really are, you know, flying the flag for, for the campaign to end the dog meat trade. So you can find them at Bindi Thompson and Robin, a.k.a. Thugface. Absolutely. Perfect. Well, I'm going to follow because I don't think I follow. I know I follow you on Instagram, but I don't think I followed them. So I'm going to be following them. Um, thank you so much for coming on our podcast. Really appreciate you talking about the subject. And uh, yeah, just keep flying the flag. Go out there and carry on doing what you're doing and raising real awareness about different animal issues. We really cannot thank you enough for doing that. Oh, thank you. I've absolutely loved this conversation. So thank you, Victoria. And thank you for the advice as well. Well, good. I hope that it... advice. I think you've done amazingly. Really, I, I do. And um, But yeah, anytime. Anytime. Well, um, guys, thank you so much for listening. I really hope you enjoyed this podcast. And I will see you again soon. Take care. Thanks for tuning in to Victoria Stilwell's Positively Podcast. For Victoria's online dog training courses, more information, and helpful dog training tips, visit her official website at Positively.com. Become a professional dog trainer with the Victoria Stillwell Academy at VSDogTrainingAcademy.com. Get connected on Facebook, Instagram, and other social media as Victoria Stillwell, and follow her on Twitter at Victoria S. Be sure to tune in next time as Victoria helps you and your dog live your best life together. Positively. Positively.